Hello, and welcome to Compass Church. If you have any questions about this message or are interested in learning more, please contact us. We'd love the opportunity to connect. Now, enjoy today's message. As we prepare this morning to look into God's Word, I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 19. And... uh, we are in the midst of a study of First Peter. Our practice is to walk through book, books of the Bible, to go paragraph by paragraph, look at section by section, and to uh, learn, as God's Word is given to us, the important truths for us as a church together. And as we've looked at First Peter, we've, we've learned some amazing things. One of the things about First Peter is it's not as commonly studied as Paul's epistles and not as commonly studied as uh, the gospels. Uh, they're shorter but and they're a little more targeted but I have come to appreciate in a great way the letter of First Peter in that he speaks so much and gives us such encouragement about the gift of salvation, the inheritance that we receive, what we're brought into as believers in Christ, and that this inheritance, this the riches of the gospel, shape and transform us in our everyday life. And then he connects that inheritance, that work of God, he connects us as believers, and he is writing to a Gentile churches, the churches in the area of Turkey, mainly Gentile churches. He's writing to them and connects them and therefore connects us as Gentiles to the rich history of the Old Testament and what God was doing in developing a people for himself and folds us in to that history and we anticipate the climax of that history. Peter is awesome when it comes to making those connections and encouraging us in understanding that. And then he talks about specific things that we do, specific actions that we are to take as we live our lives. As I think about marching through books of the Bible, I think that one of the reasons we do that is because there are areas of the scriptures that we're not as comfortable with teaching as we are in other areas. If we just jump around and pick, uh, you know, you kind of camp on those and you don't hit the harder sections. And really, the section that we're looking at today is kind of a difficult section. Uh, I've entitled it Glory and Suffering and Life Together in the Church. Glory and Suffering. Sometimes when we think about the Christian life, we think about coming to Jesus, we come to Jesus and everything works well. Life is easy, there is peace, there is joy, there is purpose. Certainly I would say that that is true, but it's at a deeper level than just our experiences in life. And Peter here is writing to a church that is beginning to experience trials and suffering because of their identification with the gospel. 
And they're beginning to say, well, uh, I'm not sure that I signed up for this. This is a lot harder than I thought. I, didn't, I thought that when I come to Christ, then my life would kind of go on the regular process and, and things would be better and there would be more purpose and more joy. But now you're introducing the topic of suffering. And it's one of those topics that we're not comfortable with. And it's one of the reasons I appreciate marching through a book and taking a passage like this. Because we are going to talk about suffering, and we're going to talk about corresponding glory. And one of the things that's important that we understand is that there is suffering and glory in following Christ. And it's not just glory, and it's not just suffering, but there is a correspondence between suffering and glory. And that is part of what Jesus brought into this world. This morning, let me take you back to think about the beginning of uh, Jesus's, not the beginning, but the end of Jesus's life. But in the midst of Jesus's life, we remember many circumstances and situations that he went through. Some of those are in various points in the Gospels. When he was teaching his disciples, he pulled back the curtain and said, just know that the day is coming when I will be rejected, I will be despised by the leaders. I will be taking, taken before the judges and I'll be condemned to death. But I will rise. And as you read those many times that Jesus told the disciples this fact, uh, in the Gospels, the disciples kind of blow right over that. They don't really understand it. There's a different version of what the Messiah should be and what he'll accomplish and death on the cross and rising. I've never heard of anybody rising. That is definitely something new. And then think about the night before he was betrayed. And he ate a meal, a Passover meal with his disciples. And there was a clash or a contrast of understanding about who Jesus is and what the gospel is about and his own disciples. You remember While they were eating the meal, one of them, Judas, got up and left and went and talked to the religious leaders and made plans to betray Jesus. And when he's going to the religious leaders, and it seems like this was a planned event and there was already an agreement amongst them. But as he's going, what's he doing? He's rejecting what Jesus is talking about. He's rejecting the path of suffering and corresponding glory as he goes to the religious leaders and arranges to be a traitor to Jesus. But at the exact same time, Jesus is taking the opposite road because he is sitting with his disciples around the Passover meal and he takes those elements that are in the Passover meal The bread and the cup we're familiar with. And said, this is my body. This is my blood. I am entering into suffering. And entering into suffering will be the means by which God will be glorified in me. Now, talking about suffering and talking about glory is a tough topic. And it, but it's important. I remember reading a, a D.A. Carson uh, book about suffering. 
Uh, How long, O Lord? Reflections on suffering as a Christian. And one of the things that he said is that oftentimes we pick up those kind of books when we're in the midst of suffering. But we would be much better served to think about suffering before we're in the midst of it. So I hope that if you're here and you're not in the midst of suffering, that you'll learn to think about suffering because one of the things that is absolutely the truth is the part of the message of the gospel of Jesus is to enter into suffering so that we receive corresponding glory. There is no message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that is that you come to Jesus and life is easy. Everything turns to peaches and cream. There are no difficulties. He makes your life smooth. That's not where we live. That's not the world in which we live. In fact, our text today tells us that there is an importance to suffering that prepares us for glory. And they are connected. And so let's read the passage and think about this. I'd like to read in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will be What will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. As we turn to this topic of suffering, there is a couple of uh, preliminary things I'd like to say. First, that suffering comes to us because of taking the name of Christ, but suffering also comes to us because we are living in a broken world. Now, the Bible sees both of those things as sufferings with Christ. I would say there is also an indication that suffering for Christ specifically is recognized as as its own category But the same challenges and pressures come to one, whether they are suffering specifically because they're a Christian or because of the sufferings that are in this world. In either case, it is a fiery ordeal that tries our faith, and God is not absent in that suffering. 
He is doing things in that suffering in our lives. Here in this passage, Peter is talking to the Christian who is receiving suffering because they're a Christian, because of their faith. But the instructions that he gives to that person, to that situation about suffering, applies to sufferings, period, in our world. Because our world is broken. Because this world is under judgment. If we think about what took place in the Garden of Eden when our first parents sinned, and sin entered into the world, there was brokenness that entered in the world. There was death that entered into the world. We still live with the ramifications of that brokenness. Even Romans chapter 8 says that all of creation groans for the revealing of the sons of God. And that is because the world is under this bondage of brokenness. And it goes on to say we ourselves groan for that renewed glory of the kingdom of God. So there is a brokenness and a suffering that happens. It's corresponding to suffering as a Christian and corresponding to suffering in this world because in both cases, God is at work with his kingdom seeking to redeem a people for himself and bring us into a new kingdom of light and life. So suffering oftentimes is a difficulty for us as Christians. We're not sure exactly what to do with it. Yet the New Testament tells us in many places that suffering is to be a part of our life. Think of Luke chapter 6, verse 22 and 23. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of God. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. Suffering comes to us as a means of rejecting the gospel and rejecting Christ and we are united with Christ in suffering. Next, in the call of Paul to ministry, Jesus told Paul in Acts 9.16, I will show you how much you must suffer for my namesake. Now, was this only because Paul was to be a special apostle? I don't think so. The expectation of suffering is for the believer. Paul certainly did experience great deals of suffering. But suffering is part and parcel of the belief or the, the, the working out of the Christian life in this world. As much as we try to think that it is an anomaly, it's not the case that we run to get suffering. But when we face suffering, and inevitably we will, it can be of various intensities. Some can be temporal and short-lived. Some can be long-standing sufferings. The important thing is how do we handle that suffering because it is going to come. The importance of suffering really comes to light also in Romans chapter 8, verse 17. Now, if we are children, and it's Romans 8, so Paul is celebrating the riches of the gospel, much like Peter, the riches of the gospel we receive. And so if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God 
and fellow heirs with Christ Jesus. What a tremendous statement that is. But then he goes on and says, If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Or the ESV says, provided you share in his sufferings. You share in his suffering so that you can share in his glory. Do you see that connection? Glory and suffering. We see it in Jesus' life when he took on the brokenness and the suffering of this world. And therefore, God blessed him. Jesus said, show your glory in me. Glorify your son as he prepared to go to the cross. So he was going to suffer in order to experience glory. The same truth is a part of our experience. Let's uh, read a passage that I think is fundamental to our understanding. It's one that has given me a great deal of encouragement in facing suffering and living in suffering. It's not in our Peter passage, though I think Peter does refer to it, so I will point that out in a second. It comes from Colossians 1.24, and Paul is writing to the church Colossae and says, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now let's try to understand that this is very important in terms of understanding suffering. First, Paul is rejoicing because of suffering. This is a common theme. We've seen it in our verse, uh, uh, chapter, verse 13. But rejoice inasmuch as you are participants in the sufferings of Christ. So Paul is rejoicing because of suffering. Second, Paul tells us that this suffering is in his own flesh. I take this to mean that Paul suffers in this world. He's suffering in his life. And we know of the times that he has suffered when he was uh, chastised and and persecuted as an apostle. He says five times he received 40 lashes minus one. And 40 were to uh, kill you. He was beaten within an inch of his life. He suffered severely. But at other times he talks about sicknesses and sufferings. In in Galatians 4.4 he talks about sickness, eye problems. And he he talks about Satan and having a thorn in the flesh. We don't know exactly what that is. But he had other difficulties that come from other areas. What Paul is saying is that while he's traveling through this life, he is suffering. And he's suffering in his own flesh. But now that tricky statement. Third, Paul fills up what is still lacking in regards to Christ's affliction. Now, wait a minute. We would all say, and I'd affirm myself, there is nothing lacking in terms of Christ's work for us on the cross. But Paul is saying there's something lacking in the afflictions of Christ. And it's important for us to understand this. So even Christ died on the cross and that satisfied God's righteous judgment against our sin. And we are indeed forgiven 
and given grace and new life and the promise of eternal life because of his sacrifice. But that's not the end of it. We as believers are therefore then united with Christ in a unique, intimate relationship with Christ. And so as the church travels down through history, as we are in this moment, we are believers, God's people, and he is united with each one of us. And when we suffer, when we suffer persecution, ridicule, when we suffer physical pain because we are followers of Christ, he suffers with us. When we suffer in this life, when we are still encountering the effects of the fall and it brings intense suffering to us, he is with us. We are united with Christ. Therefore, the sufferings we enter into, the sufferings we experience, are Christ's afflictions. This is important to understand because what Paul says is that when he is suffering, and he said he's suffering for the church at Colossae, and in his suffering he is filling up the afflictions of Christ. Because there's something lacking. Now, lacking means that it's not full yet, right? There's something he falls short of the full afflictions of Christ. It doesn't talk about what Jesus did for us on the cross. That, that is perfect. But in his union with us, there's still something lacking. And it comes from our union with Christ. And when we are experiencing those afflictions... What we have is God saying that I see Christ continuing to be afflicted with you. And as you are in union with Christ, I'm counting your afflictions, your sufferings in this world as Christ's afflictions, Christ's suffering. And I have put a cap on it when that affliction reaches a level then the kingdom of Christ will come. The end of this age will be over. But until then, all of my people who are suffering and experiencing affliction are adding to the afflictions of Christ. I think of this passage then. Given this understanding, I think Peter agrees with this. This is in in correspondence with Paul. And as we've read this passage, I think there are three things we should know. First, do not be surprised or think it's strange to suffer. We see this in verse 12. He says exactly that. You are being tested. It is a fiery ordeal. It is not something strange. Don't be surprised. Because suffering is part and parcel to the gospel. The way that we understand and experience the glory of the gospel is in our suffering for Christ. It is going to happen in our lives, and it is a way of us being solid and firm in our faith and our commitment to Jesus. It's an expectation we should have in our Christian life. That it is not going to be easy and rosy, and but that... Following Jesus can be hard and difficult and challenging. 
And we should live our lives expecting that and, and knowing that truth. I think of George Whitfield, the great evangelist of the Second Great Awakening, who knew early that trials would become a part of his life, his regular experience. Therefore, when they did come, he expected them. He was not surprised by them. He was prepared for them. Upon graduation from Oxford University, he wrote in his journal, I am now about to take orders and my degree and go into the world. What will become of me, I do not know. All I can say is I look for perpetual conflicts and struggles in that life and hope for no other peace but only to carry the cross while I'm on this side of eternity. What a good reminder of the reality of the Christian life. When we are connected with Christ, we aren't united with him. That doesn't absolve us from suffering. It almost guarantees that we will need to stand faithful and trusting and depending on Christ in the midst of our suffering because our afflictions are Christ's afflictions. And in our afflictions, they're not random and they're not unknown to God. They are a part of the filling up of the afflictions of Christ. So that day when God says enough is enough, Paul saw his afflictions as filling that up. We should see our afflictions as filling that up. Second, this corresponds with what I've been saying from Colossians. Rejoice as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Verse 13, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Isn't that a difficult statement to understand? How do I participate in the sufferings of Christ? Well, if you follow what I've been saying from Colossians, you participate because you are part of Christ. You are united with Christ. Christ lives in you and you live in Christ. And therefore, the sufferings you have are the sufferings that Christ is living through in you. And your afflictions are Christ's afflictions. And God is not unawares of what is going on. He's intimately connected with those sufferings. And Paul could count his own sufferings as contributing to that which is still lacking, waiting to fill up the full measure of those afflictions where God will say, enough is enough. It's time for the kingdom in the new age to begin. And so we, in our afflictions, are contributing to that day of Christ's coming. And we participate. Reminds me of the story of Helen Rosevere, a missionary with the British Medical Unit who served in Zaire, Africa for 20 years And in 1964, a revolution overwhelmed the country, and she and her co-workers were thrown into prison for five and a half months. And they experienced unbelievable brutality and torture on a regular basis. And for a moment, she thought that God had forsaken her because she could make no sense of this suffering. But then she was overwhelmed with the sense of his presence And she records that it was God who said to her, 20 years ago, you asked me for the privilege of being a missionary, the privilege of being identified with me. This is it. Don't you want it 
This is what it means. These are not your sufferings. They are mine. All I ask of you is the loan of your body. The afflictions and sufferings we go through, they're not just mine. They're God's and they're Christ's and His sovereign control and rule over my life guides me every step of the way. And at the end of the day, no matter what happens in the most serious difficulties I face, I can say, I was never alone. This is in the will of God. His power and His purposes are being fulfilled in me. And even in those places of suffering, I'm filling up the afflictions of Christ. His afflictions for His glory in anticipation of His kingdom. Now, let me say that that's not just easy. Those are hard places. But it's for the hard places that the truth of the gospel speaks life to us. And we have to see ourselves as sojourners and foreigners in this land, living out the hope of the gospel and understand how God is orchestrating all things. And the scriptures tell us that suffering and corresponding glory go hand in hand. Lastly, verse 17, a very difficult verse. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. There's a sense in which the difficulties and challenges we experience that God brings our way is a time of testing. It says when the Israelites came out of Egypt and they were walking through the wilderness that that was a time of testing. Would they trust their God? And when we encounter suffering and difficulties in our life, we must realize that God begins to test and refine His people here in this world. And it's for a glorious reason, actually. The glorious reason is He's refining a people to be the bride of His Son. And it's in this context of this life that is difficult and challenging and hard. It can have sufferings and sorrows. That our faith is refined to be the bride we should be. And we shouldn't be suffering, as he says in the passage, because we're criminals and murderers or even meddlers. But we should suffer because we're Christ's people. And his people are to be glorious, made new. And that newness often comes through the most difficult challenges in our lives. So Peter writes to this church in the first century, and he writes to us, don't get lost in your suffering. See it as it really is, a context for faith, And trust. We want to say what it says in verse 19. So then those who suffer according to God's will. Under his hand of permission. We should commit ourselves to our faithful creator. And continue to do good. 
This is the call of the gospel. In the face of suffering and difficulty. Not running from it. Not afraid of it. But entrusting ourselves to our God who is doing something wonderful in us. Making us the people we should be for our Savior. It's a hard truth for us. Encounter suffering in a way that reflects God's truth and God's purposes and God's glory. But there's no better way to encounter suffering. Let's pray. Lord, in so many ways, you are far above us. We can't hardly comprehend what you are doing in our lives. But the promises of Scripture are sure they are glorious and they are mighty and profound. Lord, you have done so much for us in the life of Christ and you ask us to walk in his steps and that he should be an example for us and oftentimes an example for us in the midst of suffering. And we pray, Lord, that you will make us people worthy of the call of the gospel, that we will be your people in every circumstance of our life, that we will reflect your glory and give praise to you. Even in hard times, it's never, we're not claiming it's easy, but Lord, we're trusting in you. Do your work in us. Make us your people. Help us to reflect the light of the sun in every circumstance. In Jesus' name, amen.